Hi everyone, just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, there's vomit on his sweater already, mom's spaghetti, he's nervous, but on the surface he looks calm and ready to drop palms, but he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down, the whole crowd goes so loud, he opens his mouth, but the words won't come out, he's choking how, everybody's choking now, the clock's running. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, this is Matthew Aaron, and today is the topic I have been waiting to discuss for around six months, Crypto taxes uncle sam is coming to town he has on his big old deep top hat he takes it off and says give me money fill it up or does he well today i have on mario castanz ceo and founder of happy tax and happy tax has a branch a division just for cryptocurrency taxes it's called crypto tax prep and mario is going to tell us about the 101 of crypto taxes And also, Mario is going to give the listeners of this podcast $101 off or $101 off their tax services by going to Crypto101Podcast.com and looking at the nav bar, seeing the big old T-A-X with exclamation points, tax, you click that, that qualifies you for $101 off your tax preparation and it helps out Crypto 101. So this episode's about an hour and a half long. We go through a lot. We get into detail. So I'm going to stop now and enjoy this conversation with Mario. Mario, thank you for coming on Crypto 101. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Mario, if you could, could you please just introduce yourself and your company a little bit for the audience? Uh, So my name is Mario Costanz. I'm the CEO of a company called Happy Tax. Uh, We are actually Entrepreneur Magazine's fastest growing tax preparation firm. We're only three years old. It's a brand new model that we've built in the tax preparation industry. And I've been in the crypto space for a couple of years now, personally, and worked on a number of projects for some proofs of concept. And we put together a division within Happy Tax called Crypto Tax Prep. And we are servicing uh, traders of cryptocurrency uh, throughout the United States and have a lot of fun helping people to figure out all the intricacies of making sure that their crypto transactions are properly reported, nobody getting in trouble, and uh, making it as seamless as possible for them. Mario, you also told me that a lot of these other companies, actually most of these other companies, are just one-man jobs or a, a dude that knows a dude that knows another dude and they sit in their house and do crypto tax. But you are not a dude that knows another dude. You have a lot of CPAs and a lot of professionals working on this so you can scale to matter no matter how many people give you a call. Is that correct? Yeah. So we built our company and I've built many companies over my career for scale. And there are a number of very smart crypto tax people and accountants that really know this stuff inside and out. I'm sure that there's probably even some that know better than me. Uh, However, I I would say that we're the only company that has a a scaled solution where we've got over 100 accountants and CPAs, those are certified public accountants, that prepare all of our tax returns and help our crypto traders with the 
reconciliations, which is one of the biggest differences from crypto to other types of reporting for income or other types of capital gains. So we've got a really great team and we've really saw what was coming with, with the explosion of crypto in 2017. There was a great opportunity for us to put this team together and make sure that we're there to serve the market demand because it is a supply and demand scenario where we have probably a couple of dozen, maybe three dozen tops, uh, other kind of mom and pop independent tax people that really know this stuff inside and out. But many of them are already turning business away. They're that busy because crypto has exploded to millions right. of people that, uh, in 2017. Thankfully, in a very good position of having competent professionals that are able to help our clients uh, along the way here. If somebody is going to look for somebody to prepare their taxes, what are some things that they should look? Because I heard that there was something called a licensed tax preparer. Is that true? Well, there's actually no such thing as a licensed tax preparer. Uh, Ooh, a very interesting this. tidbit <laughs> uh, <laughs> is that uh, in the U.S., you, in most states, need a license to do hair, <laughs> uh, but you do not need it to do uh, tax preparation. So uh, the majority, actually over 60% of all people that are preparing taxes, quote unquote, professionally, have no licensing whatsoever. The IRS just doesn't require it. Now, there are some certifications that are optional that are signified that someone has a specialty in accounting and taxation. First being certified public accountant. It's kind of the cream of the crop of people that are involved in the accounting and tax industry. They have to pass rigorous state tests on not only tax, but accounting and audit and all other things that are financial and numbers related. That's the only type of people that we employ to sign off on our tax returns here at right. Happy Tax and within Crypto Tax Prep. Uh, we've got a great number of administrative people and, and other people. We have actually a, a large number of the other designation uh, which is called an enrolled agent in EA. Uh, most people never even heard of this, uh, but these are people that have taken a test, a four-part test with the IRS directly and uh, are able to practice within tax court at the IRS. All right. And they generally have very high level income tax preparation experience. So we right. employ both of them, but every single one of our, our returns are signed off by a CPA. And what your question was is there is no such thing. So if someone's representing themselves as a licensed tax preparer, chances are they're trying to portray themselves as something that doesn't exist and they're just trying to make themselves look like they have some kind of expertise or specialty. But the reality is if they were an EA or a CPA, they probably would say that so right. really uh shady industry in some in some ways <laughs> so uh but you know knowing uh, this stuff is is really helpful to make sure that you are working with someone that has an actual license you know because there's a difference there right so if someone has a license they're not going to do things that are going to get you or them in trouble because right, they can risk sure. losing their license if somebody's you know unlicensed it's like well whatever well, right. what's the worst it could do to me <laughs> right what i want to do is i want to go through a journey we're going to follow this guy named johnny and Johnny is registering on Coinbase, let's just say back in May of 2017. And he's going to put in $20,000 into Coinbase and buy some Bitcoin. And we're going to follow Johnny around the journey of buying Bitcoin, going to Bittrex, buying some altcoins, transferring it to maybe Binance, coming back, getting the Bitcoin uh, cash split hard fork and all kinds of things in the middle of that. Maybe he you know, invested into an ICO as well. And then he's going to take some gains at the end of the year and he's going to come to crypto tax prep and he's going to call Mario and say, I need these taxes done. And we're going to go through that journey and see the stops along the way. Is that okay? That's awesome. Johnny is putting in $20,000 into Coinbase. And I picked $20,000 because that's what I heard that Coinbase is going to report to the IRS. 
Well, that's actually kind of true. Coinbase has put out a release on their site regarding, and there's actually two parts to this, $20,000. Anybody that has an aggregate of $20,000 of trades with Coinbase for 2017 is going to get what's called a 1099K. And a 1099K is typically what like a merchant credit card merchant processor would send to their clients, like as if you were accepting uh, credit cards in your business or PayPal issues these, for instance. Right. How, uh, how, does, how does somebody get that? Does it, is, it, is Coinbase going to mail it to their house, the, the address that they register Coinbase with? Yeah, so they probably will, knowing Coinbase, they'll have it digitally for them, either by email or inside the portal. They may probably also uh, mail that to them. And then they're also, the key thing to this is that they're going to be sending it to the IRS. So the IRS is gonna have record of those people. And what I mentioned was the $20,000 in aggregate doesn't mean that you had to actually come in. I know your example shows $20,000 coming in, but if you went in with 1000 bucks or 500 bucks, you can still get one of these, and here's how. So if you had, for example, $1,000 and you made 20 trades of that $1,000, mm. you still fall into that same bucket, and they're reporting you to the IRS. Not, right. not reporting in a negative way, just reporting, sending an informational statement that you're their client and you had that much in trades in a year. Uh, now, they're not going to detail the actual trades in those statements, and that's different from the way things work with stock transactions. So that's right. a very big thing, and we could probably get to that uh, later on when we get to that, but I don't want to go too far off of, of this particular point. So if you had an aggregate of $20,000 for the year in 2017 of trades, the IRS will be getting an information report on you. Just to go a little bit of an offshoot to that, for those listeners that might not know this, the IRS issued in 2014 a notice that determined that cryptocurrency is property for the mm -hmm. purposes of taxation here in the US. Right. And that uh, was kind of the first talk from the IRS of, of really kind of, they saw what was coming, I guess. Cryptocurrency really hadn't reached the masses yet then, but it was starting to grow. Many of the prices of, of Bitcoin and some of the other alts were starting to climb comparatively from where they started at zero. And uh, after that, in 2015, the IRS kind of looked at their books and they said, wow, looks like only 800 people have, have claimed any taxes to do with crypto. <laughs> so they're like, that doesn't look right. <laughs> so they went out and they said, well, who's the biggest? And Coinbase was the biggest. Right. So they uh, asked Coinbase, hey, can you give us all this information? And Coinbase said, no. So they said, okay, well, we're going to sue you. <laughs> and they filed a lawsuit against Coinbase for them to release all of their data. The initial okay. lawsuit was for them to release all of their data. And then, you know, the way the lawsuits work here in this country, unfortunately, is they take forever. They take, you know, the back and forth could take, you know, five years plus yep. for, for larger cases. They realized that this was something that needed to come to fruition prior to that. So they negotiated and they said, you know what, we'll make you a deal. If you'll agree to reduce the scope of this lawsuit, uh, will you also agree to expedite the lawsuit? And they both said, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do it. So at that point in time, they used the same rule, the $20,000 in aggregate per year. Okay. Uh, they said, so they said anyone that has $20,000 in aggregate per year for the years 2013 through 2015, uh, we want to make them the scope of this case. And Coinbase agreed. And in last year, the end of the year, I think it was November, Coinbase lost that case. Mm. And a judge signed an, an order, a decree, a, a judgment for Coinbase to turn over all of the people that had an aggregate of $20,000 in 
in trades between 2013 and 2015. It turns out to be about 14,000 people because crypto was clearly not as mainstream and popular and, and as many people investing and trading in it back right. uh, then. Uh, so those 14,000 people have been turned over to the IRS or in the process of being turned over. Uh, it's imminent if they haven't been done yet. It's just a matter of them kind of putting the information together. Right. And they are going to be getting some pretty nasty letters from the IRS stating, hey, you didn't <laughs> include this income. And hey, in the United States of America, we're required to report all of our income, whether it's cash or crypto or right. uh, small business, you name it, it's required by law to be put on your tax return and you didn't. So what the IRS is going to then do is they're not going to just say, oh, when you get a chance, send us in <laughs> the return with the crypto on it. Oh, that'd uh, be the nice IRS of them. is going to send them <laughs> a letter saying, hey, you've traded X because they're going to find out how much and you owe us Y. And the insane thing about that is they may or may not have what's called the basis, which we can talk about in detail later, but it's basically how much you bought it for. Uh, right. This used to happen with stocks. They used to just get the information on how much you sold it for. And in which case you have to, you know, they are assuming that you bought everything for zero. So the gains look like they're through the roof. There's two components to that $20,000 in Coinbase that I just wanted to cover. First off is that in 2017, you will get a 1099K. Uh, and then if you're between 2013 and 2015, uh, you're getting that nasty letter that's going to require you to pay back. And even if you get a letter that says, hey, you owe us $50,000, if, if you still have a, an opportunity to fight that, to send in the proper amounts of what those trades were for based mm -hmm. off of the buy price and the sell price to actually minimize it. So uh, those people are in for some pain, some logistics, but it also comes along with penalties interest and in many cases fines right so that's where the, the the thought process of making sure that you claim this stuff up front you can avoid all that nightmare stuff later because it is a nightmare i've been through it with many clients uh that have come to us after they've went to other providers not only is it a logistical pain but could end up wiping out all your profits so it's right. better to just claim it up front and be able to sleep at night cool. let's answer a couple questions from this first you mentioned a 1099k i also heard a 1099b and something that somebody said is a schedule d what are the difference between those two or do those others even exist yeah, they do exist. Uh, they're Perfect. different things. Then, as I mentioned, is generally for merchants, which was weird that that's what Coinbase is doing. I think I know why they're doing it because they just want to send the total amount of trades and they don't want to have to get into reporting the specific trades. Okay. But a 1099B is what's used in stock trades generally. So if someone puts money, for instance, in TD Ameritrade and they start buying and selling stocks there, they get a 1099B at the end of the year that details every stock transaction that they did the buy price and what date they bought it on, the sell price and what date they sold it on, and then any transactional costs associated. Then when you receive that, if you're trading stocks, that does end up going on your Schedule D. That's essentially your capital gain statement on your tax return. Now, to just clarify, your crypto transactions ultimately do make it on onto a Schedule D. Mm -hmm. But they start on what's called an 8949. So the 8949 is for any type of capital transactions mm -hmm. that are not included in a 1099B. They have to be entered in because, if, again, as to the other example, if it was on a 1099B, the IRS already has that information. All those types of forms, generally, the company will send it to the person right. and to the IRS. And then they're basically just matching. In this case, in crypto, the IRS doesn't have that information from the actual trades 
So you need to detail that to them on the 8949, which is what our professionals do for our clients. Uh, but many people self-prepare, and uh, if they can figure out how to do this, it's definitely doable. It's not advisable, but very many people, uh, actually 40% of people self-prepare their tax returns. And that number's been static for the last 30 years. So uh, <laughs> You, you should make a business out of that, yeah? Yeah, <laughs> sure is. <laughs> so, okay, so just to clarify, the process is going to be Coinbase is sending, sending a 1099K. Your 1099K, you're going to fill out a 1099B that turns into a Schedule D. Is that what you're saying? You were close. <laughs> um, so the Coinbase is going to send a 1099K, which is just going to say, hey, you've traded X amount of dollars throughout the year. It's not going to show the actual trades or the capital gains. That's going to be on you still to, to detail in your 8949. Uh, the 8949 is where uh, you're going to have to gather all of your transactions. Same thing that would be on a 1099B, but you're basically going to put this together yourself or have a bookkeeper, accounting, tax prep firm uh, do it for you. So you'll get that stuff entered into your 8949, uh, and then that'll flow into your Schedule D. Right. You're, you're, the 1099K does not have anything to do with the 1099B. It's just what they're sending in lieu of that. All right, uh, because, again, they don't have the same regulatory requirements yet for reporting it the way stock brokerages do. Uh, I feel very strongly personally and, and our entire team does that. And we've actually heard incidentally from people on the inside of the IRS and within the government uh, that they are working on requiring exchanges to uh, release this information. And uh, my RCFO made a comparison that the Coinbase case is very similar to what the IRS did in the 2000s when a lot of people were kind of hiding money in Swiss banks for, you know, not paying uh, taxes on the interest and, you know, primarily wealthy people. So there was kind of a, a tax shelter there and people had their money there earning interest, weren't claiming other taxes. Well, eventually the IRS sued the biggest one, UBS, and they yeah. won. And then ultimately all the other Swiss banks, which were many, uh, fell into line and all those people got hit hard with millions upon millions of dollars of penalties, fines, interest, and the tax that they were trying to avoid from the beginning. So uh, right. in many cases, it's just better not to have to deal with that kind of stuff and, and pay it up front. All right. So let's get back to Johnny. Okay. So Johnny, I, by the way, I sent you an Excel sheet with tracking crypto prices. I'm right. pulling it back up now. All right, cool. So Johnny's on Coinbase. He put his $20,000 in there. He bought $20,000 of Bitcoin and he is going to now move it to Bittrex. But before he did that, he put it on this Excel sheet that I sent you. It has the date of purchase, BTC price of purchase, cost in Satoshi, total cost per coin, amount, and all the way up. And it gives you his profit and loss and his maker and taker fees. Is this an okay thing to do for Johnny? Yeah, I think I don't have the full sheet. It looks like I'm only seeing uh, where it says nav coin and, and down. Maybe I Yeah, it's just a screenshot. Got it. Yeah, because it's cool. actually my personal. Yeah, but, oh, cool. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, essentially, those are the five things that you do need to keep track of. And you can do it as you go throughout the year. And there's mm -hmm. some really cool hacks that we can talk about as well on how you can do this uh, on a, maybe a more automatic basis, which is uh, generally preferable for more high-frequency traders. But, yes, you, you hit it on the head. It's date of purchase, how much you purchased it for, date of sale, how much you sold it for, and any uh, costs or of that transactions uh, that were related for 2017. All right. So Johnny has, is now moving over to Bitrex, and he has just moved his 10,000 
dollars of Bitcoin from Coinbase to Bittrex to purchase another coin. Is that a taxable event? So here's the here's the thing. It's actually not. But if you ever used Coinbase's reports, they would show it as a taxable event because they have Ooh. no way of knowing that you're sending it to your wallet. Oh, wow. So that's one of the nuances here in all these exchanges is there's still a component of old school bookkeeping and accounting that goes along with all this stuff. So ultimately, at the end of the year, if you would just take reports from Coinbase and kind of which is ultimately what the IRS will do under audit and eventually they'll get uh, when the information reporting is required, all the automatic tools out there and all the reporting will show that as a sale. And we'll show that as a reportable and taxable transaction. But it's not because it's just like you moving money from, you know, if you had stock and you move stock from one brokerage house to another, you still own that stock. Right. And it's not a sale of property, which is what causes a capital gain or loss. But it won't actually truly be a reportable or taxable transaction. So Johnny then is in Bittrex and now he buys another coin. Let's just say he buys Litecoin in Bittrex. That is a taxable event. That is correct, yes. How does that work, sir? That transaction, you need to go back and look at. So in this scenario, he started with 20000 He only moved 10000 to Bittrex. So you would basically take half of the what's called cost basis of that. So his, his buy price on that is $10,000. Mm-hmm. And what we're looking at in this actual transaction is not anything related to that Litecoin that you just mentioned that he bought. Right. It's actually the sale of that Bitcoin. So he had $10,000 that was moved to Bittrex and then that was sold in return for the Litecoin. So whatever the Bitcoin was worth in US dollars at the time of that transaction is what that first capital gain or loss would be. So for instance, if that is now worth $15,000, he would need to pay capital gains on $5,000. Or if it was worth only $5,000, he would have a capital loss of $5,000 in those examples. So first, now Johnny's looking at this, he's looking at the sale of Bitcoin, and he has a couple of questions. First, isn't this a like-kind trade? And also, then if it isn't, what is property? Cool. So uh, like-kind uh, exchange is something that has been a hot topic recently in the crypto space, and there's been a lot of misinformation about it. So I'll kind of talk to what a like-kind exchange is first, and then we could talk about why crypto actually can, is not applicable for like-kind exchanges. Wonderful. So like-kind exchange is generally used for real estate. Now, it could be used for any type of property generally, but the scenario is like if you have an investment property, it's only for investments, you can't use this for your personal real estate, uh, where you live, you have a piece of property that you bought for $500,000. Say it's a two-family house. And then, wow, you know, 10 years later, it appreciates, and you want to buy a bigger piece of investment property. So now let's just say, to use round numbers and make things sound easy, uh, you have uh, th- this house that you bought 10 years ago is worth a million dollars. You have a $500,000 gain. You haven't realized that gain yet because you haven't sold it. But right. you say, hey, if I sell this, I'm going to get hit with capital gains on $500,000. So I don't want to do that. Wait, I heard about this thing called 1031 exchange. So I can actually swap this real estate for another piece of property so long as its its cost is more than the sales price of Mm. that first property. So let's just say, for example, 
I find another property that's worth $1.5 million that I can buy and it's a 10 family house that mm-hmm. I want to get real estate income from. So uh, you can sell one by the other and defer the capital gains. So that's generally how 1031 exchanges or like kind exchanges work. Now with real estate, you need what's called a qualified intermediary. That is kind of a middleman that will let you close on the first house, hold your proceeds, and then put them into the deal on the second deal. And that is all required as well as the paperwork that has to be filed with a tax return detailing this transaction to the IRS in order for them to accept it and let you defer that capital gains. Now the capital gains don't disappear, but it's just the first. If you sold that second piece of property in a year or 10 years, you'll then have capital gains all the way back to your basis of that first purchase, which was $500,000. So if you sold that, you know, 2 million, and you had bought this one for 1.5, you're gonna pay capital gains tax of 1.5 million. So I I know we're not here to talk about real estate, but that's the easiest way to explain what 1031 exchange is generally used for. Now, it also could be used for other property. It could be used for boats. It could be used for certain things that are like kind. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, you might say, and what many people have said is, hey, can it be used for crypto? And to avoid, you know, when I'm gonna take that trade there, and I just did uh, move $10,000, uh, in Bitcoin into Litecoin. Can I say that this is not going to be a capital gain transaction now, but I want to defer that gain until I get out of crypto? Right. Well, a couple reasons why you can't. Mm. First off, the IRS is kind of looking at crypto as the same way it looks at stocks. And you can't use crypt, uh, 1031 exchanges when you uh, trade stocks. You can't okay. sell Apple for uh, Microsoft and defer the gains in that case. You also can't use it for trading commodities. So if you sold gold for silver, you can't use a 1031 exchange. And this is stuff that's all been you know, issued notices on and regulations on and tax court cases on. So it's all been out there. And the components of what crypto is more is more similar to, to that. There's also been some guidance. You know, you might think, well, it's a different type of coin or it's a different type of a fork of a coin. So ultimately, a couple things have happened. First off, the IRS was asked on uh, somewhere between two and four occasions by national organizations that are in the accounting space, one being the AICPA, which is the, the most prominent national organization of CPAs. They specifically, two years ago, asked for guidance from the IRS and said, hey, can we use the 1031 exchange for crypto? And the IRS ignored them. And the IRS uh, has been known to ignore organizations from time to time. But, you know, <laughs> our feeling of our, you know, professionals with, you know, hundreds of years of experience here on our team is that if the IRS was going to allow that, they would have just said, yeah, sure, you can use it. There's, there'd be no reason for them to ignore three or four national organizations that requested specific guidance because oftentimes they will they'll say okay thank you for this request here's how that we'll handle this right so their silence is is one point and then 2018 tax reform bill that was just recently passed made it very specific on what a 1031 exchange is allowable for okay. uh, and they said very specifically from 2018 forward, 1031 like-kind exchange is only available to use on real estate from here on in. That basically shows to me the intent. Now, you might say, well, maybe they said you could only use it from 2018 forward because you can use it in 2017. Mm. Well, I think that that would be uh, you know, pretty odd, first of all. Uh, and second of all, the reason that they did not mention 
that you can't do it specifically in previous years is because they didn't adjust the tax law for previous years. The tax law reform was only 2018 forward. There's nothing that changed anything in 2017. So they weren't going to create a whole new section of the bill to be very specific. So uh, unfortunately, and actually it's a shame because it's a national publication, there was an article with kind of clickbait type headline from Bloomberg. And it talked uh, about this specific thing. And it did not say anywhere in the article that crypto is allowable in previous years to use a 1031-like kind of exchange. But it talked about the exclusion of everything but real estate in 2018 forward. And many people interpreted that to say, oh, I can do it in 2017 or backward. Now, here's the one big caveat here. And that is that if you're going to do a like kind exchange, if it was allowable in crypto, which again, I'm very, we're very firm in our company that it's not. Right. Uh, but if it was, the way you do it is you need to detail all of those transactions the same way you would on an 8949 onto Form 1031 and send it into the IRS with your tax return. So you're basically asking for trouble. <laughs> you're basically saying, hey, I'm trying to take this exemption from these capital gains and you're giving the IRS the opportunity to say, hey, we don't agree with this. We don't right. allow this. Right. And, you know, then you're going to just automatically get hit with the penalties and interest and possibly fines if it's um, a large amount or they feel that it was done in an egregious way. Ultimately, they're not. And I think you might have asked me two questions, but this was quite a long answer. But I, I felt that it was important that we kind of walk through the entire scenario. When I'm back on top, back on top in June, I said that's life. And as funny as it may seem, some people get their kicks stomping on a dream. The other question was, can we briefly de define property? We keep throwing around this, this term, cryptocurrency is property. Sure. I mean, so the IRS in 2014 put out this guidance stating that crypto is property for purposes of taxation. And it's property something you own. The alternative would be that it was deemed as currency. Now, we all know people that are in the crypto space that, that probably most cryptocurrencies are not really built for the use case of currency, mm. right? And I guess maybe that was what the IRS saw. Either way, they made this determination. What is property generally is, like I mentioned, stocks, mm -hmm. real estate, mm -hmm. boats, you know, anything that you can own. If you, you know, have uh, possession of it and can sell it, that's what property is. And you know, uh, unfortunately, I guess for the crypto space, the IRS deems that it is. In many cases, it creates a tremendous amount of complexity because the reality is if you, I know we're talking about a scenario of, of a typical trader that's moving money from, you know, one exchange to another and actually looking to trade. But let's just say you use that Bitcoin to buy a cup of coffee. That's Guess exactly what? my next question. That's a capital transaction and needs to be included in your tax return. So uh, there is a high level of, of complexity here that I don't think that long term uh, will continue to exist. There's actually uh, two congressmen that uh, one of which have been in touch with and he's very open to kind of uh, chatting and having ideas heard that have introduced a bill into Congress two times last year to create what's called a de minimis exemption. Uh, essentially stating that like anything under $600 is not necessary to be reported. Now, the first time they introduced it, it basically got stuck in the committees. And the second time they introduced it, it was introduced to try to be, become part of this tax reform bill. And both times they didn't get it done. 
So we're hopeful to, to continue to support uh, the blockchain caucus in Congress and hopefully get that to eliminate some of this complexity. I mean, clearly, listen, if some people are trading crypto and earning income, we understand it's the laws of the land that that has to be included. But, you know, when it when it comes down to, you know, you using crypto to buy goods and services, which in many cases would be kind of future use case, it's not really used that much in in today's society but you do see you know uh you know bakeries and pizza shops and yeah, for sure. other types of local merchants kind of saying we accept bitcoin well the person that's paying in there is is creating a capital transaction for themselves and then clearly the the merchant has to include that in their revenue which they would you know use the same way they would any other type of currency that they received right on so johnny is buying this litecoin and he knows that he can go places to buy things with litecoin because they are you know, Litecoin's fast, it's cheap to send, so he buys something with it. Now, if he makes these purchases and there is a capital event, is this retroactive? Can he, if he gets taxed now, can, and they turn it into a currency later, can he claim this back or? Well, I mean, clearly laws can always change. I don't know that I've seen, except for one minimal thing, probably 10 or 12 years ago, where they did do something retroactive and they, they let everybody get a tax rebate in the middle of the year or, or with the tax refund. Generally, they do do things moving forward, which is, again, why they did the, the tax reform this year for 2018 moving forward, because they passed it before the end of the year. So in theory, yes, they could say in future years, hey, anybody that paid these taxes in 2017, we will reverse that or and pay that back. The reality is it's probably not going to happen. Right. Once you got that money, uh, you know, they're not going to give it back. Exactly. And, <laughs> you know, the reality here is that although it's painful to pay taxes, but it, it means you're making money. And, you know, if... Uh, even on the cup of coffee example, if you bought Bitcoin for 10 cents, a couple months later, you it was worth a dollar and you bought a cup of coffee, you really made 90 cents. So you're going to pay a small percentage of that 90 cents in taxes. It's not like you're you know losing the whole thing. So ultimately, once all this is reconciled, it's very kind of confusing and scary to kind of, oh, wow, I got to pay tax on all this stuff. How do I do it? Well, also a very doable process if you're dealing with people that know how to do it. What we've run into a lot, even early, and this is early in tax season, tax season doesn't end for us until April 17th this year. Uh, but people that have gone to their existing accountant or tax person and said, hey, I got some crypto trade this year. And most of them have no clue, barely know what crypto is, let alone how to deal with the intricacies of reconciling it, and uh, which we haven't even gotten into yet. <laughs> and we're already talking about some uh, pretty complicated stuff for right. most traders. So let's let's keep going around, going through with Johnny, because Johnny has a oh. lot of more things going on with his trades. Johnny has now has ten thousand in Litecoin and ten thousand in Bitcoin. He's sitting in Bittrex. He has a couple of other things that's happening. First, Bitcoin Cash came and he just had a hard fork, and now he has Bitcoin in Bitcoin Cash. The amount is different. Let's just say it's about a thousand dollars in Bitcoin Cash. What happens there? At the point of the fork, nothing happens. You can think of it kind of like a, a stock split. You don't necessarily have any additional tax liability or reporting requirements when a stock splits. When it does come into play is when you sell it. So in that scenario, uh, you receive Bitcoin Cash just for having Bitcoin, and you're going to go and sell that Bitcoin Cash at some point in the future. When you do that is when you will then have to pay taxes on that Bitcoin Cash. And well, you know, how do you do that, right? Because right. you got it for zero. Well, guess what? There's a couple of different ways you can. Uh, you can try to split the basis of the Bitcoin that well, forked and apply some of it towards the Bitcoin Cash. Uh, but the reality is uh, the way we're handling it 
is that we're, we're valuing the Bitcoin Cash's basis at zero and then the sales price at whatever you sold it for. It's just a simpler, easier way to do it. It's less complex. And in many cases, it'll actually be better for you because a lot of people did go ahead and sell that relatively soon. You know, so Johnny's over there on Bittrex and there's a couple of things that he bought. He bought Viracoin and Navcoin. He also then sent, and let's just say he bought Viracoin and Navcoin for a thousand bucks a piece. He has 8,000 left in Litecoin. He sent a thousand dollars over to Binance to buy some Neo gas. And now he has this other thing that's going on. He has three wallets. All of them generate interest on his purchase. And throughout this time, he's collecting five, seven, eight percent interest on his staking these coins. What happens there? So the interest is going to flow right into. There's a line on the in the 1040 uh, for interest income, and that would flow right there. And that needs to be reconciled, accounted for. Uh, however much interest that he's receiving along the way at the end of the year gets totaled up and it gets reported on his interest line on his 1040. Oh, that's simple. Yep. All right, so now Johnny's moving this money around still. About six months have passed. He's holding, like we said, Nav, Viracoin, Gas, Litecoin, Bitcoin, and Bitcoin Cash. That's a lot of things going on right now. Yep. It's already six months. He's hearing on the internet, on Reddit and stuff, that there's something short-term capital gains. And he's like, well, I want to cash out my, my initial investment because everything went out. I can take my $20,000 out right now by selling a couple of these coins, and i am got my 20000 back. What does that mean for him filing at the end of the year? You know, we've talked all along about you know capital gains, but we haven't specified the differences. So short-term capital gains is anything that you only owned for under one year. Long-term capital gains is anything that you've owned for longer than one year. Okay. And the differences, the core differences, is the tax rates. Mm. So short-term capital gains are taxed at your individual ordinary income tax rate. So that is uh, whatever tax bracket that you happen to be in based off of your total income, which is inclusive of your wages if you work a job, if you own a business, if you have any other investments, if you have dividends – everything that flows into your tax return generally, plus these crypto gains. Uh, so those tax rates range from 0% for people that make low income to 39.6% for 2017. Now, long-term capital gains are taxed at a lower rate. They are taxed at anywhere from 0% to 20%. So you definitely have some benefit there for holding coins longer before you sell. But I, I mean, I'm gonna take the tax hat off for a second and just put my, my entrepreneur hat on and my businessman hat on. The reality is- That's a fancy hat. I, yeah. <laughs> I would, uh, I, maybe I need to get one that has both. Um, but <laughs> the, the reality is, if you have opportunities to make money, don't sell it or not sell it because of the tax rates. You know, you don't want to hold on to something saying, I don't, I don't want to get hit with short-term capital gains. I'm going to hold on to this, even though the world is falling out from underneath this particular project. Trade how you're going to trade and make the money that you're gonna make and it'll all get sorted out at the end is the best way to, to handle it. And you know, sometimes you're gonna take short-term capital gains hits or you might have another opportunity. You might say, wow, uh, you know, I really love this new project and the only way I can get into it is if I incur short-term capital gains on other coins that I, I bought that have appreciated. Do it, don't miss out on that just to say, I, I wanna hold on to this for a year so I don't get hit with that extra tax rate because you might miss much, much more than the difference in the taxes on the, the two. 
So what does that look like for Johnny? Is it looking just like as income? So he's claiming it as income. So for example, if Johnny makes $30,000 a year and then he takes out uh, $20,000 in, in, in profits from his crypto, does that mean he makes $50,000 a year and he gets taxed accordingly? Yeah, it's essentially they're separate calculations. So if it's short term, it's going to get lumped together with the wages and you'll pay whatever the appropriate tax rate is. And if it's long-term capital gains, it you know, you'll pay your overall income tax rate on your rest of your income. Mm -hmm. And then those long-term capital gains will be taxed at no more than 20%. Okay. So it all kind of falls into one bucket at the end of the year. Right. And then everything gets applied um, and out comes the tax return. What if, what if Johnny is an expat and he's living, living abroad? How does that work for his short-term gains? The U.S. requires that all U.S. citizens pay taxes on their worldwide income, whether or not they're living in the U.S. or not. They also require that all U.S. residents, even if you're not a citizen, if you're here, pay taxes on your U.S. income as well. So that expat Johnny is going to pay the same amount as he would as if he was here. Okay, and that, that is counted as income as if he was living in the United States. That's correct. Okay. What if Johnny's a student? Uh, same things apply. I mean, students don't have any special exemptions. In many cases, they'll get credits for education that they can apply towards their tax return. Uh, another thing kind of that's interesting with students, in many cases, they're claimed by their parents still because their parents might be footing the bill. Sometimes they're not. It's kind of, you know, it, it depends. But there's no special exemptions for students as to, you know, not paying taxes on the income or gains. Johnny's already cashed out $20,000 and he is now calling for the short-term capital gains um, and he calls, you know, crypto tax prep. In crypto tax prep, we have Mario on the phone, which is the CEO and founder. It's amazing that we got him on the line. What is Mario going to tell Johnny for this one? Because Johnny's going to file again next year for, for his long-term gains and he has more trades to do, but now he's just doing it for this year. What What is Mario telling Johnny? Well, I mean, we're going to talk to him about what his needs are and what process is going to be. You know, in this scenario, he's got multiple wallets, he's got multiple exchanges, he's got multiple trades that might look like trades, but they're really not trades. They're really just him moving his own money around. So that's where our team of bookkeepers and accountants come in. Uh, we generally, after someone uh, becomes a client of ours, we will do an onboarding call where we'll kind of get to the bottom of all this stuff. Uh, generally goes out in an email prior to with here's the kind of next steps. And we will link them up with one of two tools depending on their trading profile that we use that we have corporate partnerships with. They're great tools, but they also have their own little intricacies as well. One is bitcoin.tax and mm -hmm. one is cointracking.info. Mm -hmm. And we help Johnny to get all of the data from all those different exchanges and wallets pulled into the, one of those tools. Sometimes it's via APIs and sometimes via, via downloads and uploads of CSV files of all the trades. And it really depends on the exchanges that they're on as well as the number of trades that they have. Once that gets completed, we then have to go into the old school bookkeeper zone and really start to dig into which of those trades, first of all, I would also say that in many cases, the data doesn't come in right. Mm -hmm. uh, these exchanges are all startups. <laughs> I mean, the right. majority of them are you know a couple of years old. So there's, there's oftentimes many uh, issues with the data that needs to be kind of tweaked out. And thankfully, we're doing 
uh, a whole lot of these on a daily basis. So we're able to, to know what to look for, what, how to fix certain things and the contacts to be able to do so because sometimes it does take a lot of digging to you know, get the data right. We then manually reconcile the transactions to make sure that the client is not paying additional taxes on those wallet-to-wallet transactions. And at that point in time, we'll talk about structuring and what is the right scenario in order to claim these for that year, as well as moving forward. If there's any ideas, uh, depending on the, the level of trading and the amount at stake, uh, there are some deeper tax structuring items that we, in some cases, can go over. From there, we work with them to get all their other income imported into another one of our tools uh, that we have so that we can prepare the rest of the tax return. We pull all it in and we give an estimate. Another thing that we do is for traders that are traded actively and making serious money along the way, there's a requirement to pay estimated taxes throughout the year. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you, for instance, made uh, a lot of money and did not pay any taxes throughout the entire year on that money, you get hit with interest when you file the return. So if someone is actively trading and actively making money, we'll work with them to get them set up on quarterly estimated tax payments mm-hmm. so that they don't have to pay that interest at the end of the year because that is uh, becoming quite costly for many people with the boom in crypto in 2017. It's a full comprehensive solution that includes the bookkeeping, the accounting, the tax prep, as well as advisory and, and access to uh, one of those tools for the entire year so they can kind of keep track of where they're looking at. Okay, so Johnny is done with his 2017 tax. He's moving into 2018. Now this year he has a little, not, not as good at luck. I'm not knocking on wood because we're not even starting 2018 and I don't want my crypto <laughs> to go down. <laughs> But now he still has that uh, Bitcoin in his Coinbase. He transfers it to Bittrex and he purchases NEO. He, his NEO is down. He's down, but so he sells it because he thinks, you know, there's China FUD all over the place. He sells his NEO and he buys something else. He buys something else and it also goes down and he sells and he goes back to Bitcoin. So now he has two losses. He has Bitcoin at twenty uh, ten thousand. He has Neo. He sold. Now he only has say, eight thousand left, and he and he went into something else, sold it. Now he only has six thousand left. How does that get reported? Well, again, it doesn't get reported until the end of the year. Of course. Uh, fast forward to twenty nineteen. We're getting ready to prepare that tax return, and what happens is you can claim a loss for capital gain uh, or lo- capital transactions. Uh, it's either a gain or. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, 
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. A loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only caveat is that you can only claim up to $3,000 of that loss. So let's just say it sounds like he had a, a went, went from $10,000 at the beginning of the year to uh, $6,000 at the end of the year via right. those trades. Now, the, the actual value of what you're holding is never relevant. It is always the actual transactions that determine what that gain or loss is. Mm-hmm. So you might have, a, a, you know, people that, that do hold may have massive appreciation, but it's what's called unrealized gains. Mm-hmm. And those unrealized gains do not get reported or taxed until they're sold. Right. So, but in this scenario where he lost four thousand dollars for the year, uh, he'd only be able to claim three thousand dollars of it as an offset to his other income. So his other income would be reduced by three thousand dollars, and essentially that's probably income that he did withhold money from. If he had a job, he was having withholdings taken out of his paycheck, and he right. withheld money towards that three thousand dollars, and he'll get that back. It'll be added to his refund, all put into that same pot to come up and uh, determine uh, what his tax refund is. So his tax refund will be higher. Now, the, he doesn't completely lose that other $1,000 in this case. It would carry forward to the following year, and then it would be used up then. Uh, and it could be used up then not only in the same manner that we just discussed as an offset to the income, but let's say in, in that year, in 2019, He's got that $1,000 sitting there waiting to be used up as that loss. But let's say in that year he has a $5,000 gain. Mm-hmm. Well, he's only going to pay taxes on $4,000 of it because it will offset that gain first and foremost. Mm, I see. Johnny also went into an ICO. He bought tokens. There were maybe, let's say, 100,000 tokens for one Ethereum. They came out after the ICO got dropped into his my Ethereum wallet, and now they're valued at 10 times that. What happens with ICO tokens? Is that just like the same thing as buying a currency, a cryptocurrency on Bittrex, and those gains are still the amount of gains as anything else? First of all, a couple, couple things to just make points on. The date of the quote-unquote buy, which is what's determinant for these capital gains transactions, is the date that he received them. So if it was a couple of months later that he hadn't received them, that's the date that starts the kind of clock ticking on long term and short term for that example. Okay. Uh, but if he bought it for $1,000, he put $1,000 into the ICO, and by the time he got the coins, it was worth $10,000, he doesn't pay nothing until he sells it. Okay. If he got that those coins and he sold them the next day for $10,000, he would have a $9,000 gain, which he would pay tax on. But as mm-hmm. long as just the fact of receiving them uh, being at a higher amount is not a reportable or taxable transaction. What if he gifts it to somebody? What if he has that 10000 and he takes those ICO tokens that he had and he sends it to his brother and says, here you go, man. Here, here's some ICO tokens. 
yeah, I mean, you're allowed to gift that is allowable for IRS purposes, but here's what happens. Mm-hmm. The basis transfers. You give it to someone and you don't pay taxes on that and they don't pay taxes on that when you gave it to them. Okay. But when that other person sells it, it is not how much it was worth when you gave it to him that that person has to pay their capital gains on. Mm. It was what it was purchased for by you. So there's really no, there are some people out there saying that they're doing that as a way to avoid taxes. Right. You really don't. It's really just deferred to somebody else. Exactly. And most people are not going to want to take a gift of something to sell it <laughs> and then get socked with, um, you know, a larger capital gain than they would have gotten otherwise if they just bought it themselves. It's not like that with money though, is it? Grandpa has yourself a little, a little trust and he gives you you know, X amount of dollars every year into that trust. When you want to realize that, you're going to have to pay taxes on it. Oh, no. Well, the situation there is that money is not property. So okay. you're, when you're gifting property, it's different than, than gifting actual money. So in that scenario, it would be an out-and-out gift. Um, and then, you know, trust laws are very deep and detailed. Okay. And uh, there's a lot that goes into that. But uh, if grandpa gave you, you know, 5000 bucks. And then you use that 5000 bucks. there's no tax liability on that. And the, the gift laws are very specific as to amounts and you know, how often you can do it and to whom. And, uh, but you can definitely do it, but the, it's what's called a step up in basis okay. uh, to be able to have to use that previous basis if you do receive the gift. So it's really not a way to avoid taxes on crypto, unfortunately. I have a couple questions here from uh, listeners before we finish up with Johnny. I'm trying to figure out how to work them in there, but I can't. I worked a couple in there. I couldn't figure out how to work these in there. So let's let's go with a question from Ronnie Rose. Ronnie Rose asks, how the hell do you go back and check all of your past trades, then log them correctly with the price of each coin at the time? And can we switch between first in and first out and last in and first out? So first off, I mean, the, the good news about all these trades is, you know, the IRS puts the burden of record keeping on the taxpayer. Mm-hmm. So clearly you could be uh, keeping a spreadsheet and every single time you make a trade, throw in the spreadsheet and keep the records that way. The good news is even the exchanges that are a little discombobulated in some ways, they have records of all this stuff and they right. have mechanisms in place to get that data out of there. So you don't necessarily have to go remember what day you bought the Bitcoin and for how much. The exchanges generally have it and most of the exchanges have all of that plus the actual amount that you bought or sold the information for, not just the fact that you sold, you know, one-tenth of one Bitcoin. It's the how much that one-tenth of one Bitcoin was sold for is generally the way they give you the reports. Right. Some exchanges, you don't get that information as deep, uh, and we have ways to go out and essentially find the average price of the coin for that specific day and we can use that on the on the very few exchanges where you won't get the actual price for instance some of the decentralized exchanges can still reconcile believe it or not using some methods like that and some other tools that are a little bit deeper and more customized than two core tools that are out there in the marketplace now for these types of reconciliations right 
What is first in and first out and last in and first out? Great question. So the, the difference is that let's just say you bought one Bitcoin. And when you bought the first Bitcoin, it was worth $10,000. Mm-hmm. And then you bought a second Bitcoin. And that second Bitcoin prices has rose to $15,000 by the time you bought that second Bitcoin. Right. Uh, well, first, in, and then you, you're going to go ahead and sell a Bitcoin at $20,000. But you're only selling one. Now, we all know that in crypto, that it's usually not round numbers like that. But that's just the best way to describe this scenario. Right. FIFO, first in, first out, would say that the sale... Because now right, you have, in this scenario, two Bitcoins in a wallet, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, well, which one am I selling? <laughs> well, first in, first out says that the first one you bought is the one that you're selling when you sell. Mm-hmm. First in, first out. Right. LIFO is last in, last out. So that would be the Bitcoin that you bought at 15000 Now, in this scenario, you would it would be beneficial to you to use LIFO, last in LIFO, first out, because you only have a $5,000 gain. Right. On that one, whereas the first one you bought, you'd have a $10,000 gain. Right. In very limited situations, you can use LIFO. The large majority of times, you have to use FIFO. And I'll also say that depending on which one you use, you have to always use it. So if you can lock into LIFO, uh, it's something called specific identification basis. It's, it's very complicated. I'm not going to even you know go deep into it on this particular call. I mean, I'm more than happy to answer follow-up questions for people that have scenarios where this would make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most traders, it, it, it's really neither here or there. And it's just going to be a, a little bit difference, you know, uh, in any potential tax liability. But that's the definitions of it. But about 90% of the time, you do have to use FIFO. In the scenarios where it makes sense for a customer to use LIFO, uh, we will dig in with them on, into those specifics. All right. Kevin Litch, he asks, how are we taxed on mine coins? Can we write off the cost of our rigs use, the electric bill, depreciation? Yeah, so mining is taxed on what's called a Schedule C for self-employment. So you're going to show the coins, the value of the coins that you received when you received them. It's going to be totaled up and it's going to be put in the revenue section of Schedule C. It's like a small business return within your tax return. Now, then you're able to deduct expenses. You can deduct things for power, you can deduct depreciation on the actual equipment that you purchased. And in some cases, you can deduct special depreciation, which is accelerated depreciation. Uh, so you're going to get to write off any legitimate expense of that mining business against it. So you're only going to pay taxes on what's left after deducting those expenses. So let's just use some examples again. You had $2,000 in mining income, but you had $500 worth of expenses, which will be some combination of the actual expenses and depreciation. So you have $1,500 left, you'll pay taxes on that $1,500. You'll pay the taxes at your ordinary income tax rate. So again, that's the everything thrown into the bucket. Mm-hmm. Look at the tax bracket tables and figure out where you're at between zero and 39%. Right. Now, I don't want people to freak out when they keep hearing 39%. It's really only for the for the, for the richest right, the people big gainers. in the United States. Right. So uh, most people don't fall into that. They're somewhere between 10 and 20% income tax rates. Now, the one other caveat here on Schedule C self-employment income, which includes mining, is that you're also subject to what's called self-employment tax. Now, if you work... Uh, in a job and you get your your wages on a W-2 and your paycheck every week, you'll have federal withholding to offset your year-end tax liability, but you also have Social Security and Medicare. 
And Social Security and Medicare is 7.5% ballpark that you pay on your wages, and it goes into your Social Security and Medicare fund. So when you get older, and uh, you can then withdraw that and, and have those benefits from the government. Your employer also pays 7.5% themselves. So you're actually is about 15% of everything that everybody makes goes into their Social Security and Medicare fund. So the IRS and Social Security Administration, the U.S. government says, hey, these self-employed people they're not contributing to the Social Security fund. We need to get that from them in some other way. So they created the self-employment tax. So you pay approximately 15% of any self-employment income as self-employment tax in addition to your regular income tax. There's one other you know, convoluted way to get some kind of benefit of that back. You do get half of that self-employment tax allowable as what's called an adjustment to income on your tax return off your overall income. So you're going to pay that tax and you're going to get half of it to kind of come off the top as an above the line deduction. So there's some complexity here, but that's the way mining income works. Adam Donovan says, if I purchase crypto for a friend on my exchange as they cannot get registered and I was audited, will tax office look at those funds as a taxable thing for me on my on my account? The answer is yes. So essentially you did buy those funds and your data is in the KYC database of that exchange. And if you're audited and they got to that KYC data, the other thing too is a lot of people keep saying, well, the IRS isn't getting this data. Well, guess what? If you're audited and you know they have forensics out there, <laughs> they have people on chain, they've hired chain analysis to, to yeah. scour the blockchain for additional information. But if you're audited, they can require you right. to provide them with the exchange data or they can require the exchange, even if they're not regularly doing it, they can require <laughs> the exchange to release that data. And I will also add that just about every exchange has written into their terms of service that they will release this data to any government agency that requests it. Right. Uh, upon a, a written order. Now, can't so, Adam say that this is a gift, though? Uh, yeah, but he owns it right now. So he can say that his friend gifted him the money, but now he bought it. Mm, okay, okay. And ultimately, when he sells it, the capital gain is going to kick in as well. Okay, so what if he bought it with, with his money and sends it to his friend, the crypto, he's holding his, his wallet, then he can say he gifted the crypto to his friends and he's not taxed? Correct. Okay. So actually, that goes into a good, good question about overseas. And I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know what uh, listener asked this question, but could government track and tax me for capital gains by non-fiat trades on exchanges outside of my country? Binance, for example, Cryptopia. So by the way, Binance's terms of service, I haven't checked Cryptopia, is is one of them that does say that they will release the information to any government agency. Good to uh, know. So you've already agreed to that <laughs> when you signed up with them. Right. Uh, and the answer is yes. The IRS requires and U.S. government law requires that you pay taxes. If you make money, you know, mowing lawns and making it in cash, they require you to pay tax on that. <laughs> now, does that mean that everyone does? No, it doesn't mean that everyone does. There's definitely tax sheets out there, people that do tax evasion, right. uh, but it's you're breaking the law. So you're required to do so. I also feel very strongly that that information will be released at some point. And that's where the real risk lies. The real risk lies, let's just say there's one holdout exchange, right? And they, they, they haven't released the information to the IRS once that starts becoming more regular, and it will become more mm -hmm. regular. But then finally, four years later, they lose the lawsuit. And then Ooh. you were making big money on that exchange. And then oh, all I of a sudden, now you're getting caught four years later. Guess what? You're getting hit. You're going to get wiped out. I mean, oh, literally. Yes. Out. So 
it's not worth the risk to do that. The other thing that I'll mention that many people do not realize is there's something called FBAR. And FBAR was put together to make sure that people aren't funding terrorist organizations. And FBAR says that if you have more than $10,000 in any foreign institution, you're required to have a reporting, it's only a reporting requirement, on your tax return that shows what company you have the money with and how much. Now, if you don't do that and you're caught to not have disclosed that, the penalties range at a minimum of $10,000 per instance up to over $100,000 per instance for willfully not disclosing it. Uh, They got really serious when they wrote this law because they didn't want people putting money overseas to fund terrorism. And it's understandable for that point, but it applies to this. So even when you think about going to a a non-crypto CPA or tax preparer, they might not know this stuff and you could become in real jeopardy. So I would say, first of all, the law here requires whether or not the companies in the U.S. or not, any income you earn is required to pay taxes on. And it's so much easier to just do it right up front, not look to play games and not sleep at night and, oh, am I going to get caught? When am I going to get caught? (laughs) How am I going to get caught? You know, they have a full criminal investigation unit and they have a very big crypto initiative right now. They're not going to just let all this money slip through the cracks. That's the IRS's job is revenue collection. And that's what they're going to make sure that they do. So uh, there will be some people that, you know, avoid and some people that might even never get caught. It's it's very possible. You get a lot of people talking about, oh, I'll use Monero and all that stuff. Well, guess what? <laughs> the money you moved into Monero came from somewhere else and it's documented on the chain. So ultimately, all that information, you know, becomes under audit, you're going to have to explain what happened with the Monero, <laughs> you know, and, you know, you can't go buy a Lambo and the IRS is going to say, well, where'd you get the Lambo from? You know, right. So, right. That's hilarious. You know, I really like the fact that, you know, crypto, because that's exactly what people say. Now, I just use Monero. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Heckenkamp said, should I take advantage of the wash sale loophole? Well, the wash sale is actually not a loophole. It's the reverse of that. Okay. Uh, what the wash sale says is that it's there to avoid people taking losses at the end of the year in order to reduce their actual tax liability. So essentially, if you let's just use an example of having two bitcoins, right? You've traded all year and you're going into the end of the year with two bitcoins, but you made some nice money, right? And you're like, well, oh, I don't want to have to pay taxes on all this money I made. I made 20 grand, 50 grand, whatever the number is. Right. Um, I'm, you know, and now Bitcoin is dipped. So I'm going to I'm going to sell this Bitcoin because this particular Bitcoin I bought for, you know, 20,000 and it's worth 5,000. And at least that $5,000 loss will reduce my tax liability for the year, right? Mm-hmm. And, and technically it will. But what the wash sale rule says is that if you rebuy that same Bitcoin within 30 days, you don't get to take the loss. I see. So it, it's actually there for people to not be able to avoid taxes by taking losses and then getting right back into the same position. So, but he could make that, take that loss, wait 30 days, keep it in fiat and buy back in and say 6,000 if it doesn't go back up. Correct. 31 days, he can buy it back. Okay, yep. gotcha. Kevin McCarthy asks, are there apps out there that I can import my transactions straight from my Bittrex or Binance and help me track my coins? Yeah, so the two that I mentioned are really the only two on the marketplace right now. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact because they've contacted us. There's another one being built um, and actually should be out before the end of this tax season. Awesome. Uh, uh, but we have corporate partnerships with both of them. 
They're both good tools. Coin tracking is more for the, the high frequency traders. Uh, it has also has more exchanges that uh, come in automatically. Uh, and Bitcoin attacks is, is, is a little bit easier to use and look at, not as detailed, but it still gets the job done for people that have, you know, it still has many of the main exchanges, Kraken, Bittrex, Binance, I believe. So it really depends on how deep you are in, which one you're going to use. But ultimately, as I mentioned before, there's still a lot of manual stuff that has to happen. Hopefully in the future, the technology of the exchanges and these types of tools gets better and it could be more reliable. But as of right now, I would caution anyone who says, oh, I'm just going to go and use one of these tools and then export that and then use that on my 8949. You're probably not going to be in the right shape. And we've had a number of people that have tried that have come to us afterwards. I'm just going to hire you guys. So but by all means, it, it is doable. And, you know, I would just say proceed with caution. And if you can be uh, if you're good at accounting and you're good at technology and, you know, that's your thing and you want to take a chance. Go for it. It's definitely doable. Right on. Travis asks, and I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. There's like three <laughs> G's in it. I have no clue. Um, but Travis asks, can you use tax loss harvesting towards your benefit as you can with equities? Uh, yeah, you can. It's actually the same exact. Uh, it's very similar to a wash sale okay. uh, where you're able to uh, you know, sell something that's at a loss, harvest it, and then use that to offset any taxes. Excellent. So because... Crypto is, is looked at no differently than the IRS looks at it, stocks. Okay, excellent. Do you know anything about UK, Aussie, or Canadian law? Unfortunately, I don't. And we we hear that a lot. Uh, we are specialists in US tax preparation outside of our scope to provide right. any advice or guidance to other countries. Uh, we're looking to find some other providers that have that expertise so we can refer back and forth with each other. But at this point in time... Uh, the answer is no. Excellent. That's too bad. If you do, please let us know because about 20% to 25% of our listeners are from the UK, Australia, and Canada. Gotcha. I think that we've covered everything that's on my list. Did we miss anything, sir? We covered a whole lot. There's a lot more. The tax business and, the, and tax return preparation has a lot of outliers. Mm -hmm. So there's always going to be situations that are very specific to certain people that is not relevant to the masses. And that's kind of what keeps us in business because of those outlier type scenarios. I will say that we're here to help people that need that type of help. It's only going to get more interesting from here. Uh, we're going to have some legislation at some point in time that changes this once again. But as of right now, it's very defined on what has to happen, how it has to happen. Uh, it's also very complicated and hopefully they'll, they'll bring some more simplicity to it. Even though it keeps people coming to us, we would prefer that people don't have to be so scared of this stuff and looking, you know, many people are looking to, you know, avoid these taxes just because they don't know what to do. So we love the outreach. We love giving people education, helping them where we can. Just, I, I would say the one big advice I would say is don't evade the taxes. Don't avoid doing it. It will bite you. You know, we've had people that their lives have been ruined by not paying taxes on other mm -hmm. types of income. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is no different. And it, it should just be taken care of the right way up front. You mind if I just ask you some general questions? Sure thing. What do you think is the future of crypto tax law? Well, I think at some point we will get a de minimis exemption. It's interesting because there's so many different types of cryptocurrency. And, you know, what was proposed was a $600 de minimis exemption. I don't know that there'll be much other changes than that because, you know, for purposes of currency, crypto world is something that's evolving every day. And whether or not Bitcoin will be the currency of the future or it'll be something that hasn't been invented yet that'll do things better you know, faster, cheaper, uh, more securely. 
I don't know that. I don't think anybody knows that yet. But there will be changes based not only off of trying to give some type of exemption requirements that the exchanges start reporting. And I think that there will be reporting like a 1099B the way stocks are reported now, mm-hmm. not this vagueness that's that's in existence. Uh, I think there'll be a lot of people that are getting a lot of trouble and pay a lot of money back because there's definitely some whales out there that made money in you know 2013 to 2015 alone. I mean, those people are already getting caught, and people that made money last year that uh, you know tried to use some other scenarios of keeping things more private. So mm-hmm. it's going to be one thing that's certain is change. Right. So you have some cryptocurrency, don't you? I should have. All right, man. What what are you holding? I don't hold as much as I'd like to. Um, <laughs> Nobody I, does. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have Bitcoin. I have Ethereum. I have EOS. I have uh, a couple ICOs that I bought early this year, Status and Civic. Um, right on Civic. Uh, you know, I don't even, off the top of my head, there's definitely more. Um, not really sure right now exactly what other ones, but I definitely, and I'm still buying. I buy regularly uh, when I can. <laughs> We're super busy. Uh, I love Stellar Lumens too. Right. That is kind of, you know, on its way up, continuing to go on its way massive. I actually, uh, it hasn't done that well. It's done well lately. Uh, Steam, I think that they're going to continue to be traction on that social network. Um, So there's a lot of good currencies out there. I would also say that (laughs) most of them are garbage. um, And most (laughs) of them are going to go to zero. Just, you know, because you got to think about these, you know, the top. 20 or so or the top 20. But everything else is a startup. Yep. It's a startup with an idea that was funded by a venture capitalist in previous years. Right. And if you look at startups that are funded by venture capitalists, 90% of them go bust. Right. So 90% of these projects are just projects and they're going to go bust. And people need to kind of diversify to make sure that they're not stuck in one. I mean, even earlier in, in 2017, you know, that was one of the big things that I was talking about to people that, you know, were coming to us for advice and stuff is like, they were like, oh, the, you know, this is going to go fly. And, you know, in many cases it did, but, you know, you need to be diversified because we've also seen some big, pretty big crashes with different scenarios out there as well. Are you comfortable name dropping? Are you comfortable telling us what you think is, is, is a garbage one? Um, there's too many. <laughs> I don't know that I want to call any, anything out specifically. We're not. We're, I, I feel that. I feel that. I can't think of anything off the top of my head either. Um, but there's a co- there are a couple companies that make me go. I don't. I don't know what you guys are doing. I don't know what you guys are doing, and I don't understand where you get your market cap. But I guess the the market will figure that out in time when they don't produce products. If this was the first podcast somebody getting into the space heard, and tax is such a big, very daunting and intimidating topic. What would you tell them about getting into the crypto space and taxes and investing if this was their first podcast? I would say that don't play with money that you're you're afraid to lose and keep good records and diversify. I -hmm. think those are the key key things to, and learn. I mean, you, you need to learn about the projects that you're investing in. This is not just kind of throw darts at the wall. This is, you're putting your money and believing in this project and that's the way you should be investing. Now, clearly, the swing traders and all these other types of traders that are, are, if that's what you're doing, if this is your first podcast, that's not what you're doing. You need to really go out and learn a technology, <laughs> read Satoshi's white paper, know what this is all about, and know the, the real power of it is right. in eliminating middlemen, You know, creating trust um, without that third party is what crypto is all about. And you know, 
so many of these people that are out there professing crypto and blockchain and Bitcoin, they don't even know that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they just kind of, you know, ran onto a message board, bought some crypto and think that they kind of know really the underlying technology of what the, you know, the, the spirit of the, the movement is. And that's, I think, what's more important here. You bring up a really good point, the spirit of the movement. And now being a CPA and, and owning a tax company, that is very interesting. The spirit of the movement for a lot of people is to be anti-financial systems, anti-Fed, anti-take you know take the power back to the people. I want to control my finances. And a lot of them want to you know dictate how the government collects their taxes or pays taxes. What ideology do you subscribe to when it comes to cryptocurrencies and how you think that you want to see it move forward? Well, I love the, the idea of eliminating the middlemen. That doesn't mean eliminating uh, the government or eliminating uh, the fact that those taxes go to pay for services that we use for the roads, for the teachers, for the policemen, for the, you know, the research, for, for medical. That tax money goes there. And clearly, there's a tremendous amount of government waste. I'm not a big government type person. Uh, I believe in a smaller government. But at the end of the day, the technology is more about eliminating uh, a lot of these greedy corporations than it is about eliminating the government. You know, when you think about what it was created to do, it was created to create efficiency. And again, mm -hmm. that's not that's not anti-government. That you know, that's what really the spirit to me of of crypto is about is about you know having a system where two parties can interact and two parties can create transactions of many types, not only currency transactions, to uh, get it done in a way that's guaranteed to be accurate and is done with, with much less cost than is done currently in, instead of these big corporate bureaucracies and infrastructures that, um, and you know, profits that are being taken that are obscene, you, know, you can create new profitable ventures that aren't built around that waste. And there's you know, waste in the government, there's waste in corporations. So right. uh, I'm a big believer in creating efficiencies and building processes and systems that uh, will help move our, you know, uh, mankind forward. And I, I believe strongly that crypto will do that. Right on, man. Right on. You know, I think we forgot about Johnny, but Johnny has one step. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the hell happened to Johnny. He was there for a while. Johnny's but, head spinning from all the tax talk. <laughs> oh, man. You know, Matthew's head spinning from all the tax talk. He's trying to keep up for an hour and a half now. And, and Matthew's having having a hard time. <laughs> Um, Johnny does have one step though. And the last step is he's going to go to crypto101podcast.com on the navigation bar. There's a big old button that says tax with exclamation points. He's going to hit that button and it's going to go to cryptotaxprep.com slash crypto101 affiliate link. And he's going to get 101 off your services. Is that correct, sir? That is perfectly correct. Yes, sir. That is awesome. And then you guys are going to take good care of them. We sure are. You know what? And I hope that a lot of other people from Crypto 101 community goes and uses the service because, Mario, you just said they're going to go to their mom and pop shop and they have some people have great knowledge of crypto tax and other people just don't know. And this is going to hurt them if they're trading crypto. Is that isn't that correct? Yeah. I mean, they can get in trouble in other reasons. If the, if the the transactions aren't reconciled properly. I, I would say very, very few shops, a handful of the three or four dozen shops that actually know crypto. And we're talking about 150 million tax returns, 15 million people on Coinbase 
have to get their taxes done. There's hundreds of thousands of regular tax providers, but a couple of dozen <laughs> that no crypto taxes as it relates to all these little intricacies that we talked about on this call, as well as the reconciliation part is really deep. And you know, there's going to be a lot of mistakes on that. There's going to be a lot of people that may say, you know what, I'm going to go to my guy and I, oh, Bitcoin.tax, I'll just do it there. Mm-hmm. And they're going to get a report that shows that they made substantially more than they really made. And right. that guy's not going to know what to look for there. Right. And they're going to end up paying a lot more taxes, unfortunately. So we would hope that you go with someone that knows this stuff inside and out. You know, some of these people might go to HR Black or what about like Quick, quick in QuickBooks or Quicken Books for taxes and things like that. Is this a recommendations you have? Because honestly, I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm not trying to pump uh, your company or a certain company or, or talk bad about companies. I really just don't know where to go for these crypto taxes. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we know people inside of H&R Block. They've done no training to their people. They have two blog posts. <laughs> on what what is crypto mm-hmm. uh so they don't know how to handle crypto transactions they are the biggest retail brick and mortar tax preparation company in the country they've been around for 60 years quickbooks is not is a bookkeeping solution it's not a tax prep solution but it's owned by a company called intuit who also owns TurboTax. Mm. now that is for people that self-prepare that's people that are going to put themselves out there and say i'm going to be responsible for this tax return i'm going to do it all myself from end to end and I'm going to cross my fingers and hope it's right. Now, it's a good software, but it's really not set up for crypto counting. It has not has no whatsoever, nothing to do with that. Uh, that's a separate process before you even get to the tax return. And I'll also say that we've got a number of people who were previous TurboTax users. And interestingly enough, uh, they cannot handle more than 3,000 transactions. Mm. So, you know, many crypto traders are high-frequency traders where they're either using bots, trading on a daily basis, many, many trades. So if you've got more than 3,000 trades, it's a non-starter. Uh, but clearly, if you have less than 3,000 trades, you can attempt to do it yourself there as well. So we're not the only game in town. I know a number of the other uh, really knowledgeable providers in the industry, and we I try to keep in touch with them. And sometimes uh, they refer us some business, or sometimes there's stuff that are outside of our scope that uh, we'll send to them. So we, we kind of, we're in the community, not only in the broader crypto space, but also within the you know small number of people that uh, do have some specialization in it. Mario, I'm gonna ask my last question of the interview or of the uh, I don't even want to call this an interview I think this is a lesson a class <laughs> a boot camp if you will and before I ask this last question I want to say thank you very much for an hour and a half of your time it's been very generous there's going to be a lot of people getting a lot of good information from this and I think that you filled in a lot of 101 holes that, that have been present in the information we've been getting through Reddit or other podcasts so I thank you very much you're welcome thank you for having me last question what three, or this is a long one, or four songs would you like with this podcast, sir? <laughs> so you had asked me this uh, previous, and I really wasn't that prepared, so I'll kind of just come up with them off the top of my head. Let's do it. Um, I would say uh, uh, one of the songs that I listen to often when I'm about to go do a speech uh, is uh, you Lose Yourself from Eminem. There you go. Uh, <laughs> and then... Yeah. <laughs> uh, behind that, I guess I'll go old school, which is kind of a lesson is meaningful to me. Uh, Frank Sinatra's That's Life. There you go. And then 
I guess I'll go. Uh, I go. I go with Rock, one of my old school Nirvana songs. All apologies. This is a long one. Can we have one more? One more song? Yeah, just one more. So there's an old school hip hop song called Dwick. Dwick. D W I C K. Huh. I have never heard that before. I hope I can find it. You will. All right, <laughs> Mario. Thank you very much for coming on the show. You're welcome. I really appreciate you having me. You heard we quit, no way, bullish. I told you before we come back with more hits. I provide bright flavor so you can sketch me. Do me a favor, don't try to catch me. Slightly ahead of the game, I'm not a lame. Ask him, he'll tell you the same. He knows my name, smooth. I drop jewels like paraphernalia. I'm infallible. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. And I want to say thank you to the community for asking those questions that I read on this episode. They really help fill in a lot of these gaps and answer those questions that we had. And like usual, I want to say ApogeeCrypto.com. That's A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com. The best place to check your real-time crypto prices. Also, check out ICO 101 with Elise Lamb. It's a new podcast from the Crypto 101 family. And Elise is dropping it down. There should be a new episode out right now as we air this podcast. So hop over to that channel too and see what she's talking about. And I also want to thank everybody else that's in the community, all of our volunteers, all of our listeners, all of our Facebook supporters, people in the group. Thank you very much. And we'll see you on the next episode of Crypto 101.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.